The Magic Hour is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Andy, did you know ticket prices drop right before the game starts? And because Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. It's because they're desperate to get you into the building, Brian. If anything, what you ought to be doing is just waiting around, waiting around, and then finally just pouncing on those tickets when they're like 60% off. Yes. That's how you stick it to corporate America. And then you take that 60% off and you apply it to your holiday shopping. Exactly. Um, which, you, by the way, can be more tickets to things. Oh, yeah. It's like, it's like an infinity symbol. Yeah. And so like the Lakers eventually are going to be back at Staples Center. I don't know exactly when. They're on the road right now. But maybe you want to see them on the road. Or I think it's like Friday, the Friday after Thanksgiving, something like that. You want to go to that game? Yeah. You get to do the two tap thing. Oh yeah, it's with simple. Game time? It's easy. It's You're user in. friendly. User, uh, and you, you know who the user is? Everyone listening. Right well, now. you. <laughs> well, you can't me? spell user without you. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, that is true. You need at least that one U. But here's the thing, too. Just in case, like you're waiting around for your team to come back in town, or maybe you're not even a sports fan, but you just stumbled upon this podcast. <laughs> you can also use Game Time for concerts and theater tickets, like things like that, like. Your good fortune for just happening to end up on a podcast you thought was about magic, you just learned something. So that's <laughs> right. great. It's an hour about David Copperfield. It's not, though. Uh, anyway, so the GameTime app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. And Download the Game uh, download the Game Time app in Google Play or the App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. And uh, welcome to the Magic Hour. It's episode five-ish? Five or six. Five or six. Man, time flies. Uh, Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky. Of course, we cover the Lakers for The Athletic. And uh, Andy, you could argue that we're starting to enjoy those pre-roll reads a little too much. They're kind of fun. They are fun. Um, Good time. We're excited to have a sponsor. Well, it's also, too, it's just an exciting time to be doing anything where you get to cover the Lakers because they are really Really good. All right, so we're we're coming to you Sunday night. The Lakers are on the in the middle of their road trip. The four games they've played two. They did the twenty fourth of November. The twenty fourth of November. Thank you. Um, they will play Monday night in San Antonio. Yes, and then uh, Wednesday uh, they'll wrap up the road trip with the big Anthony Davis reunion game in uh, New Orleans. So. A lot to get into. We'll talk about that. We are very excited to be participating in uh, the big uh, all-decade extravaganza that they're running across the athletic uh, NHL and NBA, I believe. So we'll talk about our favorite uh, players, our all-decade picks for the Lakers and uh, some of our favorite moments and things like that and players from uh, this past 10 years. Which have been an inter- it's been a very interesting decade for the Lakers. It really has. Yeah. For, and we'll, we'll get on to all that. And then, Andy. A bizarre. Thanksgiving. Mm. It's coming up this Thursday. I've got questions. Okay. Uh, but let's start with Anthony Davis. Uh, we mentioned he'll be going back to New Orleans on Wednesday, where he will be vociferously booed by half the crowd. 
uh, and only half the crowd because New Orleans traditionally is one of those places where the Lakers go and uh, Lakers fans buy up half the building. Hopefully so, by using game time. Right. Well, if only if they want to save 60%. Yes. Um, so, you know, the, the Lakers uh, will roll in there perhaps 15 and two, no worse than 14 and three. And uh, what's one of the guys that uh, they'll, they'll bring with them is Anthony Davis, who has been really hot. There was that stretch, I guess, last week where we were, hmm, Anthony Davis is in a bit of a slump. And uh, we do we do uh, TV for Spectrum Sportsnet sometimes the 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 local station that carries the uh, the Laker games and that came up and I did point out like he's averaging over twenty five points a game this was at the time um, and you know things are going just fine but the last three games in particular thirteen of twenty four uh, in the home game against the Thunder for thirty four points. He had 33 in the road game against the Thunder, 9 of 19 from the floor, 7 of 14 from uh, the floor against Memphis. And Andy, the biggest thing that's notable about it is a lot of that success has come at the three-point line. Yeah, the last three games, uh, the win at home against the Thunder, then they went down to OKC, and then the game in Memphis. Anthony Davis has been 10 of 18 from behind the arc. That's 55.5%. He's also shooting a lot more of him. He's been averaging six threes a game which is a really high clip for him, um, that actually boosted Anthony Davis's percentage for the season to 36%. Like, I believe he entered that stretch at around, like, it was a 29, low, high 20s, 29 and, maybe, maybe 30, 30. 30%. But, I mean, this is what happens when you shoot over 50% during a mark like this this early in the season. But also, but also when your volume is relatively low. Right, like you need, right. You need that to boost it up. And this is something that Davis talked about after the win in OKC that Frank Vogel and his teammates have been really encouraging him to do. They've been, they've been saying to him, man, you're open. Take these shots. Don't hesitate. And he said that the last few games, he's really taken that to heart. And the confidence is clearly there because he he is really bombing from three. Well, and LeBron made that point, too. It's like he's open. If he if you don't take that shot, they're not closing on him. You know, because if you have to, if you're a defense, you got to pick something to let Anthony Davis do because you don't get to to shut everything down. He's just too good. If you have to choose, okay, make a three-pointer. And, you know, Davis is not going to shoot well. I don't know that for sure. Probably not going to shoot 55% for the rest of the year. But if he if he becomes a reliable 35%, 36%, now you have to go close that shot. And the minute you have to go close on Anthony Davis in the perimeter, he's so good putting the ball on the floor. He's such a good passer. And LeBron, this is the point that LeBron made. Like it opens up his game tremendously. And I think you know the 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 analog here to some degree. And Davis is a better overall player. But look what's happened to Carl Anthony Towns as an offensive player um, with the expansion, like. I didn't even realize that we were doing radio last week. Like he's taking like eight threes a game. Yeah, and that's more than you want Davis to take. Well, I, but the success well, it depends. Well, I mean, if he's shooting like Carl Anthony Towns, because people like forty some percent. No, no, yeah. no, higher. Forty, I, like forty five, forty something. Like, like yeah, I mean, forty something percent. There's been periods where Carl uh, Anthony Towns has been in the fifties from from behind the arc. Like he'll go like a month, month and a half where it's around in that fifties or high forties. Like I mean, so if Anthony Davis is shooting like that, yeah, take. Eight a oh, game. sure. Take 12. Take but, 50, you know, pretend I mean, you're J.J. Redick. We, we've talked about before, Brian, like Anthony Davis has gravity of an elite shooter because of who he is. Like Anthony Davis is somebody 
that you will always guard no matter where because he is you the- feel like you you right. just you're you feel like it's just a bad idea to leave him open right exactly i mean this, this is what happens with superstar players all the time and we we covered kobe for the second half of his career and we obviously watched him for the first half kobe was never by the percentages a consistently great three-point shooter like he'd go on these crazy no. rolls where you know there'd be times where he just you know he'd hit eight or nine in a game and you know he'd shoot 45 percent for a month where you know and there'd be times where he seemed like he was a great three-point shooter, but the reality no, is no. he wasn't. But Kobe would never be left alone at the three-point line. I don't care if he was 0 for 15 in that game. You're going to guard him. That's how Anthony Davis has supplied gravity before. But if he can now supply gravity, Brian, where he actually is making those shots and you're guarding him because he's Anthony Davis, he's 38% from three, I don't know what you do with it. Yeah, at that it's, point. it's, I mean, I mean, and it sounds silly, like, you know, 38 versus 35 versus 33 versus, well, well over time, these deal. things make a difference. But I, I mean, I think 35%, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, like, he, people, just to bring people behind the curtain, I don't like to touch my computer while we're doing this. Because <laughs> the hamster that runs the thing can do one thing at a time. Right now, it's recording a podcast. What, what That's number all do you want to know? I may know it. Uh, what, what's his high mark for a three point shooting? Um, I, I'm going to guess it's about 35%. I didn't ask he, you to guess. Andy. Well, he is uh, a 32% career, <laughs> career but a lot of that comes in. rounding up. Right. So I, by definition, I can't imagine he's ever shot more than like 35% from three. I mean, um, he, he's had a, most of his seasons have either been in the low 30s, high 20s. He's never been a great no. three-point shooter. Well, he only started adding it to his repertoire um, in the last, you know, couple of years in any serious way. Um but it's it's very the, the 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 thing with Davis is very similar to the Lakers broadly, and you know the the offense like we talked about last week it started to make an uptick certainly has continued over the, the the course of the road trip it's it's been defense where they've slipped a little bit and we'll get into that in a minute here but offensively highest percentage ever by the way thirty four percent other than maybe this season if he keeps it up keeps like we said so, currently thirty six so somewhere in there like thirty five thirty six percent. Makes it. It's not. He becomes not a different Danny Green, but he's. You have to guard him out there, and that that's a totally well, different. Plus, thing. If, he, if he hits like 36 percent, he's going to be close to thirty points a game. No, no question. And it makes it, it's it's one of those things where you never want it to become the focus. In the same way that you don't necessarily want three point shooting for the team to become the focus of it, but they've been so efficient from everywhere else. Like like we, we pointed out. They're in that top two or three in the league consistently most of the year in overall field goal percentage, despite the fact that they've spent a lot of the year in the bottom third for three-point shooting. That gives you an idea of how efficient they are with every other kind of shot. And so just by becoming average from three-point range, the Lakers become an elite offensive team. Anthony Davis is already an elite offensive player, but he becomes elitier. If he's a 35 or 36, 37% three-point shooter and you have to honor him. I mean, it, it's three games. This is, sure, it's, it's three games, but, but it's fun it, to think if, about. If this becomes a thing where he's in the mid to high 30s from that range, it is not hyperbole to say he's unguardable. Because the worst well, thing you can yeah, do at that right. point is send him to the mid-range where he's been he's been off by his standards this season. But the law of averages and just respect for his talent says it's eventually going to come around to something at least respectable. Right, because he's going to put and he's going to put the ball on the floor and he's right. going to drive. He's going to get to the line where he's in like 80s, he, high 80s. He 90s, becomes 70s. literally unguardable. Right. And I don't. So I don't know what you do with that. This. This is a, a very positive development for the team, which is overall 
shown, you know, uh, some more positive shooting. Um, the Lakers defensively three games that weren't great. Uh, they, you know, they only gave, they only gave up 107 points in the home game to, to Oklahoma city. Uh, you know, last game before the road trip earlier in the week. Um, but it was it was certainly not a good start to that game. They got they kind of fell back into those the, the early season habits of getting out of the gate slowly, letting a team like Oklahoma City get some confidence, and they couldn't quite put them away. The Lakers led in that game almost throughout. I think it might have been wire to wire, but they it was one of those games. Instead of finding that gear where they just pull away, they allowed Oklahoma City back in, and they turned what was a comfortable game into a close one in the last few minutes. Uh, then they went on the road to Oklahoma City and allowed 127 points, sixty uh, something in the first half. Uh, it was pretty ugly. And go to Memphis, which is not a high-powered team. They run, but they're not exactly the world's most efficient group. And they no, their another, offensive rating right now is 30th in the league. For those keeping score at home, they're, 30 they're only teams 30 in the teams. Um, and again, I don't not allowed to touch my computer <laughs> have access to numbers and information i'm jealous um but in that game they they allowed again in the 60s in the first half which you know they tightened up in the second half only 45 points in the second half but you shouldn't if you're a team like the lakers you shouldn't be letting memphis score 60 something points in a half yeah i mean so the, the defensively it's been a little bit of a slip especially given how good they've been. Yeah, I mean, I think to be both fair, I guess, to some degree to the Lakers, but also really giving credit to OKC, or at least accuracy to OKC, this is how they play everybody. Like, they are a, they're a bad, good team. And they're significantly better at home. They're, they're significantly they're, better they're at home. They're on the road, but, significantly better But even on the road, like, you, you and I attended the Clipper game against uh, OKC the night before they played the Lakers. They played the Clippers the exact same way. Yeah. That was a really tight game. They and they played, lost tight games to right, other they teams. They play extremely sure. hard. Their, their net differential for a team that's like four or five games below 500 is at about a zero. I mean, yeah. they, they're they're a bad, good team. They've got team. too much talent to be a bad, bad team. Right, you exactly. Know, Gallinari, Chris Paul, Shy, uh, Shy Gilgis, Alexander, I mean, they, and so on. To some degree, you wonder if, say, Avery Bradley's absence is starting to catch up to the team a little bit because he came out of the gate pretty right, and strong. Caruso was unavailable right. as well against Memphis, which are that now you're talking about both of their best right. backcourt with defenders. a guy like John Moran out there, and John Moran right. played really Replaced well. Replaced <laughs> by Rajon Rondo, who is not one of their best no. perimeter defenders. I also wonder too if Brian psychologically, with this team now finding the ability to score, if naturally you start letting up a little bit defensively. Because here's the thing: as much as the Lakers at the beginning of the year were playing absolutely incredible defense, and I think they've developed a legitimate defensive identity and it's something that they're they have a lot of pride about nobody sets out to hold teams to like 102 or below in the nba unless they have to because it's too damn hard it's yeah. really That's what we talked you about don't do like, that in you 2019 2020 no, you, you don't you can't try to win games like they did that night at home against Miami. No. Where it was like 90 to no, 75. That was, ambitious, like, not, like, that was like ambitious in the Riley Knicks days. Like that's that's not what that's not what teams do. No, and it's and it's funny because you know the, we we were around when they were a championship caliber team. Yeah, and we, we, we remember we cover the two thousand nine two thousand ten teams. Yeah, we and the and the the two thousand eight team that lost in the finals. Like we we've seen how this works, and yes, defense wins championships. And great, you know, you cannot win unless you really are an elite level defensive team. It's hard to you know you don't see a lot of teams win titles when they're 
14th in efficiency through the year. It just doesn't happen. But the team that's one, two, three, four, five, they're not that every single night. And if you're, if you, you know, I realize fans don't like it, but they don't put that, like, go back to those championship Lakers teams, even the championship Celtics teams, which were great defensively, that, that team that won, that beat the Lakers. They weren't, you know, they, they, they didn't hold teams to like 65 points every night. Like okay. some nights you're better than others and some nights you're dialed in more. Some nights it's not the second night of a back-to-back. Some nights you're playing a team that has your interest a little bit more than maybe the Memphis Grizzlies do. And one of the attributes of championship teams is understanding that you don't get style points for winning by like 17 or 16 or whatever. And, you know, sometimes you see if you can get by with 80% effort. Okay. Let me put it this way. And I, hopefully everybody listening to this podcast has a job that, that they enjoy and, you know, gainfully employed, if not my, my sincere wishes in finding the job that you want, but assuming you have a job, let's be honest every now and then you half ass it. I mean, everybody half-asses it at work. I'm doing it right now. (laughs) Now and then. And if you still have that job, it's because you managed to get by half-assing it those days without your bosses getting upset enough or even noticing enough (laughs) that they said something Because then your boss, by the way, also may not notice because he's (laughs) half-assing his way. Or she. It's 2019, Brian. That's true. Lady bosses. (laughs) Really? I'm just saying, Brian. Get with it. Well, I'll be. A lady boss. But you know what I mean? Like every everybody is not at their absolute best at their job every second no. that they're performing. It. And I realize, but they get paid. And okay, shut up. You know, you get paid too. Well, they're, they're exactly. It's <laughs> it's all on a scale. I mean, like, you know, frankly, you need the money more than they and do. And you have right. assets sometimes. And this stuff's hard. Like, yes. you know, I mean, it's, it's just okay. You know, it's like, look, if, if three weeks go by and the Lakers have played, you know, 12 games of pretty lousy defense, then you just tighten this thing up, guys. But here's the thing. Here's the thing but even this even. But here's the thing. Finished, here's the thing. Even though. these three games that we're talking about, these aren't even three full games of bad defense. Sure. Just, you know, it's really the, the bad sure. one was the, the, the road game in OKC. And here's the th- I was going to say, though, uh, before we get off the the concern about the defense or whatever concern you might have, at least for the time being until they show me otherwise, I'm actually confident that this group at some point would say, all right, we got to police ourselves. We got to fix this ourselves. Like that they, that they will not let it get completely out of hand because they don't want it to get out no, of hand. No, you, you can and they're let, responsible, you can let it for a half. Right. They're responsible and well-coached enough and I think you know professional enough that they're not going to let it become permanent slippage. Maybe I'll be wrong. And if I'm wrong, we'll, we'll talk yeah. about it then. It, you know, Utah has passed them, at least by basketball metrics, uh, a basketball references metric for defensive rating. Um, what about swag, though? Has Utah passed them with swag? No. So according to Frank Vogel, that's a stat now. It is. That's, that's Rajon Rondo's stat. I this is it's actually one of the the ways in which I really do identify with Rondo because I too am measured in swag. Yes. Uh, but you know, if the Lakers turn out like end up the third best team in defensive rating this That'll year. That'll get her done. That, that that's fine. Um That'll likely get her done. And you know, meanwhile, they have crept up to third. That'll also get don't her look done. now, but they're the third best offensive and team. And by the way, yeah. that matters too because I this is one of the things I found encouraging about these games, like especially again the Oklahoma City game, which was really the only bad 
wire-to-wire bad defensive game. Again, they held Memphis to 45 points in the second half um, Saturday night. It's nice to see them outscore teams sometimes because sometimes you're going to need to. There is that saying, you know, we referenced it before, Brian, defense wins championships is something teams always talk about in all sports, even a sport like baseball where you don't even think about defense. They will say something like that. But what I've always added as an addendum is defense wins championships, assuming you can score. Right. Because most teams that play lights out defense but can't score don't, don't win, win championships and, right. it's because like, it's too damn and hard. In baseball, it's like, you know, you can line up your aces and all that. And, uh, you know, you still got to get like two runs. Yeah. You're not going to, you're not going to win getting zero. I don't Absolutely. Care how pitching is. Um, so, yeah, it's something to, uh, to consider for sure. Um, Andy, can I ask you a question? Please. Uh, have you ever wondered how to get the hottest new sneakers? The ones All the that time. Are... I've actually been wondering it during this podcast. It's <laughs> right. been a little bit distracting. Right. And you need to tighten up in the second half. I will. Well, uh, I mean, especially now that you reveal these secrets. Yes, but I'm talking about the sneakers that have barely hit shelves. The answer is StockX, a revolutionary new marketplace for buying and selling 100% authentic sneakers, streetwear, watches, and handbags. Yeah, millions are already using StockX to find everything after it sells out, from the latest Yeezys to every retro Jordan to the hottest new streetwear. Brands like Supreme, Bape, Palace, and Kith. With StockX, it's all about transparency. So now you can shop smarter than ever. Exactly. Ding. <laughs> using real-time market data for everything on the site, so you can rest easy knowing you'll never overpay for shopping I wanted, on StockX. This is my favorite part. Are you looking to add the Air Jordan 1 Fearless UNC Chicago to your rotation? I mean, a 12th pair? Sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and also, too, I, did, I, I, I didn't know about Bape. Is that how it's pronounced? <laughs> I think so. I've said it that way every single time. Nobody's, nobody's corrected you. Me a note. <laughs> um, you can find it all and more on StockX. I love shoes. Now, I but, I'm not, but like, there's a difference between like being a shoe guy, which I am, and I, I can go to StockX for this sort of stuff too, and a like basketball sneakerhead, because I don't know what a Jordan Air Jordan 1 Fearless UNC Chicago is. Like I know what an Air Jordan is. Sounds important though. It does. Um, if I had, they wouldn't put it there. Yeah. If I, by the way, if I had created the brand, it would have been spelled B-A-E-P-E. Like, <laughs> like babe. babe. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So if you want to know all the hype, check out StockX.com backslash B-Ball for a surprise offer that won't be around long. That's StockX.com backslash B-Ball. Check it all out today. Um, all right. So the Athletic Andy has is doing a, a really cool thing where it's not just in basketball, it's also in the NHL. We're looking at all decade teams for all the teams that we cover. And, you know, the Lakers are doing this. You've got, you're written something. Bill Orham's written something. Is Brett writing something? I don't know. I don't I'm know. not I, Brett's keeper. I, I don't know. I'm Nor his try. Um, Only Mrs. Brett, is, if there is one, <laughs> I don't know, um, is, is Brett's keeper. Um, and it's, it, it's looking at the all-decade team. And this, to me... You know, when you look at the Lakers, is just a fascinating decade. Yeah, if you followed the Lakers, you may have noticed this decade has been weird. It has wild and wacky and some low periods. (laughs) It was a trough. We call it It a decade. It was. It was. There was a valley. Right. It began hot out of the gates because for these purposes, we're beginning. 2010 to, to 2010. Right, right. So really the, the calendar year starts at 2010. So we're including the championship. Right, the 2010 championship. So out of the gate, the Lakers hot. 
And then the bottom worse. then dropped out. <laughs> it got worse. Yeah. Um, it Looking was, like it's going to get better. It was sort of like back in the day when people believed the earth was flat and you just get to the end and you just fall off. That's kind of what happened to the Lakers. Yeah, this is Kyrie Irving's worst nightmare. Exactly. Um, so uh, I, I want to get into some of those things of the what makes this such a strange decade and a, kind of a fun and and interesting decade to do this exercise with around the Lakers because it lacks so many of the things that typically you go through the 70s, the 80s, even the 90s. It's like it's not like you got a lot of fun stuff to choose from here. This was hard. So let's go through our 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 all decade first team. And uh we can do this. You want to do it by position? Um mine was not uh You went positionless. I went sort positionless of. A because it's 2019. Right. Let's let's this be modern. This is where we are right now. But also too because I came up with a rule for my first team uh all decade for the Lakers. I mean, it was a combination of talent, obviously, success uh, how memorable you were during this decade with the Lakers, but also too, given all of the suffering of this decade and what it's put everyone through, I feel like you have to really earn your spot on this team through like sweat equity. So therefore- Sweat equity. Yes, sweat equity. Um, if you're going to be on the first team, you have to have played a minimum of two complete seasons with the Lakers and also for two coaches. Interesting. I like yes. the two coach role. Yes, you have uh, to. Which, played. by the way, it, normally you'd be like, "Oh, that doesn't." No, seem no. Very. It keeps, but for the Lakers, that well, it keeps things pretty wide open. It's, it's pretty much everyone. <laughs> I mean, everyone who played more than one season probably played for more than one coach. <laughs> there's, a, there's a good chance because um, there were how many this decade? There was Phil. There was Phil. There was Bernie, Mike Brown. Don't ever forget Bernie. Right, Mike Brown. Mike D'Antoni. Mike the Mike's, Bernie, as we call them. Luke. Luke. Byron. Byron. And uh, Frank Vogel. Yeah. It's a lot of coaches. <laughs> a lot of coaches. Wait. Phil. Phil. Mike, Mike Brown, Brown. Bernie Bickerstaff. No, Dan Tony. D- Bernie was before Bickerstaff. Oh, that's right. Right. Because he was. Bernie. Right. Dan, Dan Tony. Byron Scott. Luke Walton. Frank Vogel. That's seven coaches. <laughs> seven coaches. <laughs> and don't, I don't want you people at home going, well, Bernie doesn't count. Bernie counts more than all of them because he is by percentage the winningest coach in Lakers history. Plus anybody who covered that period, and that's you and me, Brian, knows oh, Bernie counts because his press conferences were the most the entertaining best. things I've ever seen. The best. So, so anyway, that was my coaches. rule. Okay. Um, I didn't have, have that rule. Right. Well, there's, I mean, there's no hard and set rule but for me, any of Let this, me look. But this is just I'm my I'm just checking rule. though. I think all of them qualified regardless, but I didn't have okay. that rule. So uh, have to have played two full seasons, have to have played for two coaches. This is my first team all decade for the Lakers. Kobe, Pau Gasol. Kobe Bryant? Yes. Okay. Uh, obviously, because Kobe Carl, Carl was, was the previous right, decade dummy. He was on the all aughts team. Right. Kobe, mm-hmm. Pau Gasol. Yes. Lamar Odom, okay. who, by the way, made it technically because he was on the roster when the lockout ended and Mike Brown was there. So technically, <laughs> part of two coaches. Uh, plus, he's That's Lamar a Odom. But a he's Lamar Odom. No, You're I got you. him. Julius Randle and Nick Young. That's my first team. Yeah, you went positionless. I went positionless. Unless Nick's your point guard. No, I, I mean, he would Actually, be. Actually, Powell is probably your point guard. No, guy. Lamar. That's true. You Lamar or Kobe. Right. Or Kobe. But Kobe. Kobe's playing off ball. <laughs> but anyway, so it's uh that's my first uh that's my all decade team. All right. I went I actually tried to do it by position. 
which made this really hard. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, so I'll start at point guard, and this was a tricky one. I went with D'Angelo. Um, you really your options here are D'Angelo Russell, Lonzo Ball, Derek Fisher, I suppose, and Steve Blake. Like in terms of people who actually spent substantive amount of time playing point guard and were impactful and kind of important. And like you can make an argument like Lonzo, but I feel like D'Angelo is the thing that started Lonzo. Sure. Like in a lot of ways, like you don't get the the need for Lonzo without D'Angelo. Well, he was the thing that was shoved out of the way for Lonzo. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> but if, it, if you know, things play out differently with Lonzo or, or with with D'Angelo, like the Lonzo thing might be different or whatever. So I, I and plus he was better. He was. Which explains why for six years they were the worst team in basketball. Small forward. Now, this was interesting to me because, I again, I feel like you only have a couple choices. The best player to play small forward ostensibly for the Lakers is LeBron James. He hasn't even played 80 games with this team yet. So I felt like that just wasn't enough. Yes, LeBron is not on my first team either. He did, he qualified for the two coaches. Right. But did not qualify for two full seasons. It's a high PER for LeBron in yeah. that way. I mean, I look, he's LeBron James, but sorry. It's right. No, it's it's I almost put honestly the best cheat you can do for point guard is if you go to basketball reference and you just look at guys it just says Gary Payton 18 games. <laughs> It's his kid, but I almost mm-hmm. stuck him in a point guard anyway. Um, so that l- really lowers your choices to Meta World Peace, who actually had a fairly long run after you know yeah. he was he, he played four you know four seasons I believe in this decade non consecutive, but yes, <laughs> but he, he had him in there. And no, he, just he for actually people who don't stuck remember, he came back for right. Kobe's final season. He stuck around a little bit though after the stuff kind of fell apart, and he yeah. was so he was here a little longer than at the beginning of the decade than I think he's the rare remember. amnesty then return Correct. for a player in the NBA. So, but before he was amnesty, he had, a, you know, three seasons, I believe in this decade and whatever, or Brandon Ingram. I went with Ingram cause I felt like he was more interesting in a lot of ways than meta. And then by the end of it was just a better player. Um, but that was a tough one power forward because I decided to bump pow to center in a nod to the modern NBA, Julius Randle. Um, and then center, you can go pow. Andrew Bynum, I guess, is somewhere on that list. Dwight, oddly enough, is somewhere on that list. Um, and if you're just going strictly by games played, you got to pull dudes like Jordan Hill. <laughs> like, remember Jordan yeah. Hill? Oh, yeah. You probably don't. No, they like, Most people have forgotten about Jordan Hill. Jordan Hill has played more games at like power forward and center than almost anybody in this decade. Maybe yeah. all of them. Yeah, they re-signed Jordan Hill. They did. He, he was, right. I believe he was brought over for Derek Fisher, and then they end up re-signing Jordan Hill to a team-friendly deal, I think. Which at the time seemed like a really good, a good thing, and then it turned out Jordan Hill wasn't very good. Right. Um, but what, here's what strikes me about this exercise, and we can talk a little bit more about some of these players if you want. I, I, I had a lot of fun kind of dragging stuff around and changing categories and stuff on Basketball Reference to do this. If you make a list of players who played six or more seasons for the Lakers who appear in the, the, the 2010s, it's Meta World Peace, Pau Gasol, Andrew Bynum, Lamar Odom, Sasha Vujicic, and Luke Walton, and Derek Fisher. Obviously not continuous, and then obviously Kobe. In my head, I realize, yes, like even one of the championships came technically in this decade, 
all of those guys belong to the the aughts, the 2000s. Sure. Because that's when this sort of started. Some of them stuck around longer. Some of them played, you know, Lamar played into it, Powell played into it longer and whatever. But they don't belong to the 2010s. If you look at Anthony Davis and LeBron James, like obviously we are back in a place and technically still in this decade where things look like they're going back. In no, but those guys really feel like they belong to the future. They Exactly. This is the next thing. Like there's no... It's it's not a grounded decade for the Lakers, which obviously is is reflected in the record. Everyone else in the middle, you want to take a, a guess on how many players, assuming I counted right, were LA Lakers from the start of 2010 until t- this season? Oh, jeez. Take um, a guess. I'll say 87. Higher. 111. 111. Yes. <laughs> it's exactly right. There you go. So, I mean, again, I mean, I mean, it's possible I've got the count off for whatever reason. Certain guys span decades and I missed it. Um, but compare that to, so from the start of 2010 to today, 111 players, about 60 in the aughts, 60s again in the 90s, somewhere in the 60s, uh, in, about f- somewhere in the 50s in the 80s, and then 60s again in the 70s. So in a normal decade for the Lakers, they've got about 60 dudes wearing the uniform. In this decade, 111. But I mean, here's the thing, though, Brian. I mean, beyond how just crazy a number that 111. is. 111. It also speaks to, though, something that you and I, who have covered this team for that this decade in question, talked about a lot, either on air or writing, whatever. They often seem to not have a sustained game plan or like a really well, like yeah, a fortified so, vision of what they wanted to do, particularly once Kobe tore his Achilles. And and so because so much of this was big game hunting, big game going that big and trying fish, to whatever. avoid a rebuild. Everybody on one year deals. They did not want to seem right. like they were rebuilding with Kobe on the roster. But they also didn't want to sign anybody to a you know two year deal. Everybody was on a one year deal. I actually made myself for fun an all one year squad. Uh, Brooke Lopez at center. That's a good call. Ed Davis at power forward. He was sneaky he was good, good for sneaky the Lakers. Good. They should have kept him. Point guard, Jeremy Lin. Your choices are are thin. It's Jeremy, because I it's Jeremy Lin, Kendall Marshall. I'd go Kendall Marshall ahead of Jeremy Lin. Yeah, Lin played more games. Yeah, he was but, actually more productive. But Lin was more miserable. But he also was more Kendall c- Marshall was like an assist machine. And remember that <laughs> remember Dan Tony and I no, had Dan Tony loved Dan, Kendall. No, Marshall. not in the beginning. But Dan he grew to love him. No, you know when he grew like to kale, love him? After like I, we all do kale. After I cajoled Mike D'Antoni to play Kendall Marshall. Remember, he and I had that pregame exchange where I asked him why at this time we're like, they had literally no point guards on the roster. They were playing Xavier Henry as like this quasi-point guard. Work, no, yeah. I mean like- God, Xavier Henry. Remember Xavier Henry? God bless Xavier Henry. He could barely dribble. <laughs> and like he was their point guard. And they just brought in Kendall Marshall, who is a pure point guard. He's got other deficiencies, but that guy a is a- pure point guard. And I asked Mike D'Antoni, like, because Kendall Marshall had been there for two or three games and hadn't played. And I asked him just like, you know, what is preventing Kendall from playing to this point? Because it really seems like you could use a guy like him on the floor. D'Antoni got super defensive with this uh, pregame. And then, to his credit, later apologized to me. But that game, I think Henry got hurt. So you had no choice but to play Kendall Marshall. And Kendall Marshall had like 13 assists in this That's game. Right. And after the game, Mike D'Antoni actually found me in the postgame scrum, looks at me and goes, how about that Kendall Marshall? 
So I'd have gone Kendall Marshall. No, I, I mean, I, the, the most, I, I would say probably the most disappointing development in the entire decade actually is that Marcelo Huertas played two seasons and was therefore <laughs> ineligible for this list. Um, but you, know, you are relatively short on point guard options. Jose Calderon was a one-year man, correct? But he only played like 20 games. <laughs> he was terrible. He, it didn't work out. Um, so I mean, he, I, ma- he made Huertas look like Gary Payton defensively. Right. You're, you're, Gary Payton, the you father. Could, you know, actually, you know, I missed, although now I'm looking at it and I really didn't, <laughs> is uh, Chris Duhon. Shot like 33% as a Laker. He wasn't very good. No, he was not. Um, nice guy. Not very, very good. Very nice guy. Year. Not very effective as a as a player. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, Jeremy Lin, Kent Bazemore is my small forward. Oh, they didn't keep him long enough. Well, you No, I'm season. saying, remember, we, we kept no, saying, resign him, resign him. But, like, this was the, this yeah. was, Kent Bazemore is the great example of the what they lost by just flat refusing to do anything that might even eat eat into a tiny bit of their cap space so they could go try to sign Carmelo Anthony right or like LeBron like that was back when they were trying to get meetings with like LeBron when there was no way he was going to be joining that team so they'd let a guy like Ken Bazemore go right and then uh my shooting guard and I originally before I, I remembered again ooh, Ronnie Price Byron's favorite. That's right. Byron loved Byron Scott. <laughs> loved loved him Ronnie, Ronnie Price. Price. Loved um, him. Wayne Ellington. Great guy. Yeah. Loved Wayne. So Ellington. that is my all one year squad. But Andy, there are a tremendous <laughs> like 111 players wore the uniform in this decade. Um, Brandon Bass, Anthony Brown, Dwight Bikes, Jabari Brown. They had like five Browns. Remember that one season where they had a, like everybody in the starting lineup was a color? Yeah, they had Vander Blue. Vander Blue. Dwight, uh, 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 they had Jabari Brown, Vander Blue. White in there. There was too. a white in there. Yeah, there was a. There there was, was, everybody had a color. A, it was just a very weird period. Uh, I came up, Brian, with my all decade weirdo team. Mm. Like guys on the team who were just kind of weirdos. Yeah. Um, again, I went positionless. And this is because that's fine because they're weirdos. Right. It's positionless. Um, Andrew Bynum. Oh, yeah. Chris Kamen. Kamen was weird now, as- Bynum never did the thing when he was a Laker where he only braided half his hair, right? Did he do that with us? I don't recall. I Bynum, don't... Bynum really didn't go hair weird he until a, he, after he, he left. He was a little bit like one- He had a little Rodman in him almost in that sense where he got a little more weird- as he grew. Yes. Like um, he became a little more comfortable, a little wealthier in the yeah, league and all yeah. that. I mean, just, look, you know what? You I'm would, not, I'm not going to be my true self. He decided to live his truth. Right. Look, you and I had a real affection for Bynum because he was oh, totally him. unfiltered. I loved him. Yeah. He, I mean, we loved how bizarre he was. Also, too, we weren't the ones in charge of him. No. <laughs> so it made it really fun but like, for t- us. You know, for example, like when, when John Black, who's the uh, the old PR guy, um, when, we, when we started and Andrew Bynum was here- used to get mad at all of us because, you know, the coach would come out and say, you know, blah, 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 blah. and the, the players would turn around and this, uh, and then you'd go ask Andrew Bynum and he'd tell you the actual thing that was happening. So if you ever really wanted to find out, so, and John would get mad at us all the time, he'd be like, you, we're not doing, we're not like doing anything. We're just asking him questions. It's his fault. He keeps telling us the truth. He just has no filter. So Andrew Bynum. Yeah. Chris Kamen. Yeah. Well, he's a weirdo. Rajon Rondo. He is an unusual fellow. <laughs> Dwight 1.0, his first stint with the Lakers, Dwight yeah. was weird. 
Dwight was weird. And finally, for the fifth spot, a very underrated weirdo for the Lakers. And you and I have talked about this a lot. Kobe. Well, yeah, Kobe's an odd duck. Kobe's I mean, a very strange he, guy. I mean, he really is. I mean, it's under, it's really not, it's under uh, talked about. Uh, like his professional, in a lot of ways, personal life is an exercise in weirdness. Like Kobe has said many times that he identifies with Batman and like the Dark Knight uh, to the best. He's pathological. Right. I mean, it's I mean, my- I mean, this is, by the way, this is not, this is him yeah. telling Oh, no, like, absolutely. None of this- and it doesn't make him bad guys or devoted father, blah, blah, you know, all these things. And it, like now is I think like he pours a lot of the, the energy and attention that he used to put into basketball, you know, back towards his children. No, but, but he was always like he that. He's always kids. said like the way he went about doing this, not healthy. No, um, but he like, he, he's like, I'm a terrible friend. I don't have that many of them. Yeah. I remember one time Kobe. We, just, we discussed last week on nobody had ever been to his house. Yeah. I remember. Until one, Dwight went, one which time, was weird. You know, because the Kobe's last few years with the Lakers, he basically went into like drunk uncle in at your Thanksgiving table mode. Oh, he was, he was fascinating. Like he would, yeah. Kobe. I mean, he would just, Kobe was always a good interview when he was in the mood, but he went into just like holding court after games, you know, some of which he hadn't even played in or played much. And you just ask him anything. I mean, he yeah. was like a Ted. Yeah, speaking of like it, like Thanksgiving coming up on Thursday, he was YOLO uncle at the Thanksgiving table, right? Um, so so like in that sense, like you know, he was sort of becoming unfiltered and all that stuff. But like back to the uh, the comparison to to uh, Batman, like you know, identifying with the Dark Knight, Bruce Bruce Wayne was a crazy vigilante. Yes, <laughs> I mean like Bruce Bruce Wayne was nuts. And, and of course, there was that interview that he got set up with Heath Ledger. Yeah. Oh, the dinner. <laughs> right. But, you know, I mean, like uh, the, the my original train of thought with with Kobe during one of those times said that he, you know, he can be a good friend, but he really can't be a great friend because of everything he does to, you know, focus on basketball. And he's like, you know, everything that I have left in the tank is for my family. He's like, so you know, I can be a good friend. And I know there were examples of him being a good friend. He was a good friend of like Lamar Odom. When Lamar was down, um, you know, when- well, there's a, diff- there's a difference between being a good person and being a good friend. He didn't have what he's saying is I don't have the capacity, right, to exactly. be a, a friend because that's outward, and I'm everything I have is inward. But I remember you and I once, yeah. you and I once mentioned this to a former teammate of Kobe's, who should be noted, got along great with Kobe, considers Kobe a friend, and really loved playing with Kobe. And I remember when we told him this, he just kind of smiled and said. I'm glad he said that because being his friend can be really frustrating. <laughs> and like, he just sort of smiles. Well, like, every, everybody's, well, got the, everybody's got a friend where it is in a lot of ways just about them. And I don't, I don't know if it's still that way with Kobe and his friends or whatever. I you know, but, but like when he was a player and again, he said it like, but the, it's, it's fun. Like we, it's like when you think about like the guys who were great to cover that you enjoyed covering, Kobe could be, for people who were on the beat and had you needed stuff from Kobe almost daily and had to deal with with some of that on a daily basis, I know it could be very frustrating for them. We didn't have that problem, you know, because you know we weren't traveling beat writers. We were around with you know we're always around when the team is at home, but we don't rarely do we need this for today's story or tomorrow get Kobe when we need him. Like whenever I needed a, I had a question back in the day when you could just grab a guy coming off the court, Kobe would stop and he'd answer him. The t- the couple times we asked for sit downs, we got him and he was great. Yeah. Um, he was thoughtful. He required you to 
think about the question that you were going to ask him uh, before you would ask it. Sometimes he could be a jerk and sometimes he would be sharp. But like, I, 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 the, I, I, it's hard to imagine what it is to live under that microscope and have to do this stuff every single day. And you get a lot of stupid. Overall, I thought it, I, I really enjoyed covering him because it was always interesting. So did I. I mean, it's it's funny because there are a lot of Laker fans who've just reached this conclusion that you and I hate Kobe. It's, but it's not I mean, honestly, it's not even a question of like, do you want to have a beer with the guy? There are there are Lakers that I liked on a personal right. level, right? More than Kobe, got along fine for what I needed to do with, sure. with Kobe. But I found but, him pleasant. But it, but covering was, Kobe was great. Correct, BS it was great. Um, but Kobe was. Fascinating. I mean, I, I love that we got to cover him for as long as we did. Yeah, I actually had an all-decade favorite players. Uh, it was Pau Gasol, Lamar. Pau is probably my favorite human being that I've covered in yeah. sports. Pau, Lamar, Meta, Tarek Black, who was he was great, just fantastic to cover. Fantastic human being made really the most of a great opportunity. Managed to carve out a few mm-hmm. years in the league as an undrafted free agent, and Josh Powell. Who was a oh yeah Jim, role Jim, player? He was really good role player with the 2009 2010 championship teams. Great guy. One Kobe loved Powell. Mm-hmm. Well, loved Kobe him. Kobe had and Kobe is one of those guys. It's it, all these guys are are interesting because the tricks that elite guys play to kind of whatever it is. Durant watches Twitter eggs and is motivated by them and gets upset by them and it, it drives him. Kobe ref, kind of refused to acknowledge his own elite athleticism. I suspect because he thought it might kind of on one level or another to get him to stop working. So he always respected guys who do the work and nobody did the work harder than Josh Powell. So I think he respect like Kobe recognized this guy who doesn't have a tenth of the talent that the superstars have, who has carved himself out a, a role in the league by earning it. And a ton of respect, and and I, you know, th- that kind of work always impressed Kobe for sure. Uh, Tyler Ennis was really a nice guy to cover. I liked him, and I, I ever since the day that Corey Brewer told me um, that he was fat and out of shape when he got here from Houston, <laughs> and I'm looking at him going, really? Uh, I, I had a soft spot for him. Uh, what are some of the other all-decade lists that you had? Let's see. I had the all-one-year squad. Oh, my favorite like moments, guys. Um, it's not really a squad, but it's just sort of different moments that I like. I mean, obviously, there's the title. Game 7 was the best thing I've ever covered. In, you know, Game 7, 2010. Um, Kobe's final game was amazing theater and so much fun and just a great night. Um, Andre Ingram, just Andre Ingram. Yeah. That whole thing. And then of, of all the stuff in the middle, I really liked the, the couple of games where Durant and Brandon Ingram matched up and Ingram went toe to toe. I think there was one where he had like 35 points and went toe to toe. Yeah. But like those moments where you could just see kind of what Brandon Ingram could be. And we're seeing, both it, of, we're seeing it now yeah, with new Orleans, but both of us. I think had kind of a soft spot for the guy because like so, so much of it was, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't have a killer instinct in this and he doesn't care. Kuzma's got more dog in him or more Kobe. But yeah, I just didn't talk much, but man, I mean, he worked so hard and lo- you saw when he left, you know, because of the, because of the, the blood clot, just 
it was crushing because the guy loves basketball yeah. that much. So those are some of my favorite moments. Um, I had an all-decade crazy moments uh, for this past decade. The um, thing oh, also, too, where the thing where uh, the, the, the Nick Young, Pau Gasol. Oh, the three-pointer. Uh, the three-pointer three cel- three celebration. celebration. Yes. Um, my all-decade uh, crazy moments. 2011. Oh, how did you leave Lance Stevenson off your, your all-crazy team? The, uh, the the all weirdo team? Yeah, are your all weirdo team? Um, I just look. It's a hard cut to make. <laughs> I mean, Michael Beasley. My, you know what, Michael Beasley. I know he had I, some stuff going. I on. wanted to leave Beasley alone because he had a legitimately difficult year that year. Like, right. would stuff happen? Like he arrived. Passed, like, right, I, but he arrived. I wanted that to leave way. that alone. No, that's fair. Um, but he was he he would have made it. Sure, otherwise. but I mean, timing is everything. I guess. That's true. Um, the all decade crazy moments. Uh, 2011. Western Conference semifinals, game four, where the Lakers are not just eliminated by the Mavericks and swept by the Mavericks. You have Lamar Odom uh, and then Andrew Bynum both getting ejected. In the case of Bynum ripping off his jersey, WWE style, Bynum had also just viciously elbowed J.J. Barea in the ribs on a drive to the basket. Like I'm honestly surprised Barea didn't puncture a lung. In Um, fairness, every Laker fan wanted to do that at that point. Oh my God, they hated J.J. Barea. Uh, basketball reasons. Yeah. Meta World Peace, the elbow to James Harden that yeah. Meta also tried to explain basically was Harden bumping into his elbow. and He was just sort of clearing, but he had no idea that Harden had been there. He was just celebrating it a was basket. Not, it was oh, not no. a plausible explanation. No, you and I both loved Meta. That was that. I mean, that was straight pucky. up vicious. That was, that was not accurate. The Anthony Davis trade drama. Yes. Magic resigns. That was crazy. Chris Kamen lying across the seats. That was funny. And then I believe my number one all-decade crazy moment for the Lakers, D'Angelo Russell and Nick Young. Yeah. Nick Young shares too much. D'Angelo films (laughs) too much. And the reason that's my number one, Brian, is like there's certain things like Magic resigning was nuts. But then you look at like the Sixers when Brian Colangelo, their president, resigned with the burner account. That was super wife. cray. Right. Like, so there's a comp. And like basketball reasons is a certain comp to like the AD trade craziness. There's no comp to D'Angelo and Nick Young. I've never seen anything like that before. Yeah. And it's one of those things that kind of encapsulated everything that was going wrong. Do you remember I <laughs> talked about the trough in the middle yeah. of the decade? It can all be kind of summarized by that incident. Because, you know, really. You don't, I mean, I love Nick. Yeah. But do you want to first team all decade for right. my, Do you want to money. be like BFFs with your super impressionable, immature point guard? Like if, if they're hanging out together and they're sharing the, you know, the sexy secrets and all that kind of stuff, and then resharing the sexy secrets, it's probably Well, it was during good. a period where they were pranking each other and D'Angelo, I do believe him, did not mean for that to go live i I think there's there's just no currency for him putting it out there and i would like to point out it d'angelo broke the bro code there is no question nick young screwed up his marriage that you know or the the engagement or whatever it was his engagement it was an engagement like nick young was the one who broke that up like screwed that up because he was the one who was cheating on Iggy. I also just kind of feel like, and again, both of us really like Nick, really enjoyed covering him. He would have found a way to do it anyway. I have a feeling. <laughs> if you gave Nick enough time. I have a feeling. I just, you know, again, just uh, you know, D'Angelo did the wrong thing. Yes. But we do need to stop saying D'Angelo Russell broke them up because Nick broke them up. 
and D'Angelo just facilitated. Uh, any other list you got? No, that's pretty much it for me. Uh, like my, maybe my one-year team. Um, my, I Finally, because I know you wanted to debate this one. I had my all-decade worst non-star signing. Okay. To me, it's Carlos Boozer, the one year in 2013, hands down. And my reason over, I know your counter, and I think the counter of most people listening, what of Luol Dang, what of Timothy Mozgov? Mozgov. Your 1201 phone call. <laughs> Which, by the way, I've always had a theory with Mozgov. Mitch accidentally butt-dialed him, and <laughs> just, Mozgov picked up. It was just too polite to yeah, say. It was just too awkward. <laughs> There's nothing you can do with Carmelo that. Anth- oh, hey, Timo. <laughs> well, we've got this $54 million lying around. No, 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 no. 64, 64 million. million. You want it? My theory with Carlos Boozer is as bad as those signings were, and they were disastrous. They were pretty bad. They were at the time, they followed some degree of rational thought and some degree of plan. Like at the time, because you know, I remember at, at the time, I thought Mozgov was not a terrible signing. He was coming off a season with the Cavaliers that was actually and pretty a really effective. Solid playoff. He at the time was capable of running up and down the floor. So that was something that you thought could work well with what Luke Walton wanted to do. I did not like the Luol Deng signing in the moment, but I at least understood what they were trying to do from a team culture standpoint and bringing in some veterans, even if knowing too, this was also a- <laughs> That was some super expensive culture. Oh, no, no. I, I Look, I hated the Deng signing it's in the fair moment. Not, it's fair to say they did not get their money. No, worth. they did not. But I could at least understand the thought process. They probably thought he'd be a great guy to have around for, for in particular, for Brandon Ingram, who was a rookie. Again, didn't like it, but I could at least follow the thought process. There was, Brian, no rationale whatsoever for signing Carlos Boozer. At the time when they signed him, he was blocking their seventh overall pick, Julius Randle, who played the same position. They had a bunch of guys like Ed Davis, uh, Jordan Hill, who they specifically signed that contract to make him showcaseable. At By the way, time, you when was the last time Jordan Hill was mentioned twice on a Lakers podcast? It, it's been a minute. At the time, they thought Ryan Kelly uh, might have been able to develop. Oh, the Dukey. Yes, the Duke. There were all these different fours and fives that they wanted to play, all of whom are ostensibly losing some playing time, if not blocked by Carlos Boozer, who, by the way, because he was an amnesty waiver uh, couldn't be traded. They won. Right. Could not be traded. Couldn't be traded. So Boozer, if he played well for the Lakers, couldn't even be moved. Right, but okay. There's how much no- they, How much do they spend though? I, I don't care. Oh, I don't no. care no, because that, it also that, symbolized, that it symbolized everything that was so ridiculous about the way the team was being run at the moment and trying to project faux competitiveness as if Laker fans who watched Pau Gasol like- kick Carlos Boozer's ass for three straight years in the playoffs and didn't like Boozer anyway. He was, were he somehow, was as unpopular a player in the NBA uh, in LA as, as if anybody, somehow Laker anybody. fans were going to be excited by this. No, they weren't. They were not excited. So to me, that's why Boozer is the no, worst it, of all No, of he them. was really bad. There's be, no question. Because, but he was also the most pointless. I do think, though, that Timofey Mozgov and Lou Alding certainly were emblematic of other problems. Yes. So, uh, Although for all the talk of Mozgov being an untradeable contract, you had to include D'Angelo Reed. Yeah. 
He's been traded twice since the Lakers moved him. He's apparently not that untradeable. Uh, Luol Deng turned out to be a little tougher. That was tough. That was a little tougher. Um, so yeah, the, a lot of fun. So check out all the content uh, on the site, Andy. You got a story. I'm going to try to get one. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, but Orem's got some stuff, and all over the site uh, for all of the teams that you you enjoy, you um, you can get out there and uh, and and and, uh, and 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 absorb it all up. Do you want to do Thanksgiving, or do you want to skip it? I think we should get going until next year. Yeah. We will hold or it. Or who knows? Maybe midweek we'll podcast. You never know. But uh, the, the exclusive Thanksgiving podcast that yes. drops like Wednesday no, going into Thursday. We could, we could also. That just, it just does gangbusters traffic. Well, the other thing we could do, Brian, is potentially talk about this after Thanksgiving. Maybe Like a know, leftovers podcast. Exactly. A leftovers podcast the following Sunday. We'll see. But I, I think for now, we hold the Thanksgiving. Time. All right. We will see everybody next week. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, enjoy everyone. your turkey and your family and your time and away from your life. Hopefully and hopefully the Lakers. All right, we'll see everybody next week.